0: Right. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Awesome. Turn your Bibles to John 13. We're going to keep going with our One Month to Live series today. And uh, as you do that, as you're turning, God, before we really open up, I have a question for you. How many of you guys in here today have an important relationship in your life that you are maybe struggling with right now? How many have you a relationship that you would say, you know, hey, I got a relationship and this one's kind of struggling? It doesn't necessarily have to be your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend. But it could be a friend, a parent, maybe for parents with one of your kids. But a lot of times in relationships, we struggle. And I, mean, I think today is going to really help us kind of unpack and dive into how, how to mend some struggling relationships and get some key pointers from Jesus himself on what he did and how he helped mend relationships and give some pointers for us to mend our relationships. So um, as you turn to John 13, uh, let's pray. Welcome, God, in this morning. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the example that you gave us in Jesus. Um, God, I I welcome you in here with us today as we dive into your word more about this this one month to live. How would we live our lives if we only had one month left? And I pray today that people are challenged, that that we are encouraged and motivated to, to really dive in and lay it all on the line because you laid it all on the line for us. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said... Amen. All right. Now, speaking of relationships, sometimes you can have, like, a, a best friend, and this relationship can be wonderful, and then all of a sudden something happens, and you have what's called a falling out. You have that moment where they're, now they're not your friend anymore, something big big happened, you, you've fallen out of contact with this person, and you don't talk to them anymore. Or maybe, maybe it's a, a son or daughter that's grown distant, and you, and you don't know how to reconnect with them. Or maybe it's your in-laws, and you've never been able to connect with them. But, but I think we all have relationships that, that we, some that were strong, some that started strong, and some that have kind of fizzled or faded or are struggling to this day. But the road to relationships, the road to, to deep loving and having a lasting relationship with somebody, it's never a smooth road. It's never from start to finish something that is always smooth. Every relationship hits a rocky point, right? There's ups and downs, there's mountains, there's valleys, there's great plains, and then there's, there's great joys. At first, though, when you first start a relationship or friendship with someone, things can seem pretty smooth. Things seem pretty good. You meet someone, there's <clears throat> everything starts out perfect, there's no potholes, there's no detours. I mean, you meet someone and you're like, wow, this, is, this person knows me, this person gets me, and a friendship hits off. Or in marriage, you get married, and that first season is the most perfect season. Everything is great. In business, you find the perfect business partner. Someone who comes alongside, who compliments you well, and business is just booming because this person gets it. They get you, and everything is smooth. They share your values. In your friendships, you think, this friend gets me. They understand everything. But eventually, you hit a mountain, a mountain of misunderstanding. Things get lost in translation. The relationship starts to suffer. And that's when you throw out the ideal things you want, with and you start dealing with the real problems in front of you. And the reality is, there's nobody here on earth, not one person here on earth, who will totally, 100% get everything about you. And if you're married, you may even say, you know what, my wife, I feel like she knows everything about me, I feel like I know everything about her, and then one day something happens, and you're like, wow, I never knew that. Been together for all these years, and you still learn things new about each other every single day. No one on earth will ever 100% fully understand you, but God understands you. And God understands everything about you, for the reason of one, he's God, he's all-knowing, and he created you. So he knows it all. He knows, he knows what's, what's gonna hurt. He knows what's gonna bring life. He's got everything. He, he's got the book of you, right? He wrote it. He knows it. So then you've gotta make this choice. You've gotta choose in relationships to be understanding and accepting or rejecting. When, you, when something happens with someone and you're like, I don't get that, are you gonna accept this change? Are you gonna accept this new info? Or are you gonna push it away? Because you'll never understand them completely. And sometimes as people, what we do is, is when this new information comes, if we don't reject it, we start doing this, this road. We, we, don't, we don't climb this mountain with them. We say, all right, I'm going to learn this with you. I am now going to go into my own selfish tunnel and only, only accept what I want to accept, only believe what I'm going to believe, and I'm just going to start rejecting this new stuff because that, that really hurts me and I don't want to be any part of it. You see, one mountain or one journey can lead to a growing relationship. The other can lead to selfishness. Selfishness, hurt, and rejection. And I think at some point, all relationships go through a little bit of selfishness because what happens with people, right? People can naturally be selfish. Naturally, you, you want to make a decision that's going to benefit you. I'm not saying th- this is all bad, but naturally when something happens, you say, hey, this is going to work for me. I want to do this. And in a relationship, you have to learn, right? I'm going to do something that will put my needs second and put someone else first. I've got I've to turn away from selfishness. When you go through a, a tunnel of selfishness, what you get is you get tunnel vision. You start only seeing your own perspective. You start only seeing things that you want. What's gonna benefit you the most? You get into an argument, and all you can see is your side of the argument, because let's face it, in an argument, you are always right, right? Men nodded, women nodded, everyone agrees. We're always, we are always right, always. I remember the very first time I had an argument with Stephanie, and she told me, not the first time we had an argument, the first time she goes, oh, you're right. It's like, calendar. Mark this. It reminds me every February 27th that I was right. Coming up, anniversary of being right, right? But we get into those moments. We get, we get into those, those, those tunnels where you are right, and you have to shift to see something from someone else's perspective. We have to shift to see their perspective. And when you shift, you can start to feel their pain. And once you start to feel their pain, you can then start the road to understanding, the road to rebuilding a strained relationship. As you go over this mountain of misunderstanding and you go through a tunnel of selfishness, every relationship also goes through moments where it feels like you're surrounded by failure. A relationship can feel like you're failing things because all relationships, every single one of them involve two people. And guess what's common about every single person in every relationship? We are all flawed. Every single one of us is flawed in some way, shape, or form. They involve two flawed people, two imperfect people, two broken people. And when you get a flawed, imperfect, and broken person uh, combined with another flawed, and broken, and imperfect person, guess what happens? They hurt each other. It, it happens at some point. Not saying this is every day, every conversation of every relationship, but at some point, those two broken people will say something that hurts someone. It hurts each other. That's part of a relationship. And if you hold on to that hurt, if you hold on to the bitterness, things crash. Things crumble. Things fall apart. The point, every relationship will go through fire. Every relationship feels like it goes through, it goes through that moment of you feel like, man, this this feels like hell in my life. But once you go through that and you work on rebuilding, you work on letting the love of God come in, you then experience what God calls a beautiful marriage. A beautiful relationship where things are like, this is what God designed us to be. But going through pain, going through fire is part of a relationship. It all depends, though, what choices do you make when you feel like the relationship is on fire? When you feel like things are hurting, what are you going to do? And that's what we're going to talk about today. When the heat is on, the pressure is on, misunderstandings pile up, selfishness overwhelms, what do we do? What is our response? And what helps us not fail in our relationship? And the answer is going to be, you've got to risk something. You've got to risk loving someone completely. You've got to risk loving completely. If you've been uh, reading the book or in one of the the small groups that we do with the One Month to Live Challenge, you've been reading about that this week. What does it mean to love completely? How did Jesus love completely? What in our lives can we do to love completely? And how is this a risk? Well, I'll tell you, loving someone completely is a big risk. Putting yourself out there is a big risk. And even show of hands, how many of you guys have put yourself out there and been burned by somebody? Man, that that is a common story, right? Unfortunately, that's a common story in the church. People say, man, I feel like I went all in and someone in the church burned me. And when someone feels like they got burned in the church, where's the last place they ever wanna go again? They ever wanna go to church. And even a different church, like some people just write it off. When we get burned by people, it hurts. It hurts real bad. So, This whole thing, this one month to live challenge, it's not not me saying that we're all gonna die in 30 days, but it is saying, Lord willing, we're gonna live long, full, fulfilled lives. But it is saying in these 30 days, what are we gonna do? If if we are going to really love God completely, what does that look like? And does it have to just wait for our last 30 days or can we do it now and let that be something we continue on for the rest of our lives? So there's a short passage, John 13, verse one, it says this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. I want you to underline two words in that passage, really important words. It says, Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Now, <coughs> it says Jesus knew when he was coming to the end. Jesus knew he had, when he had one month to live. He knew this was, this was it. 30 days to the cross, it's all come down to this. He knew because he was the son of God. Now, most of us don't know. We don't know when our last 30 days will be. We don't know when that time's going to come. Or maybe we don't know when we'll get that conversation from someone saying, hey, your life has now come to this point where it's going to end on a certain date. Some people get that, not everybody does. But Jesus knew. Underline that, Jesus knew. So how did he love when he knew? From this verse, we see even just this one verse that Jesus loved completely. Underline that next passage where it says, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. It, notice it doesn't say this. It does not say Jesus loved them at the end. He loved them to the end. This, this was not a Jesus going, I've got 30 days left, I better show these guys I really do love them. It was something that he did from day one and did it all the way through his ministry here on earth. But the thing is, loving at the end, that's a lot of times what people can do. We we can get to that point where we realize, oh man, things are are coming to a close for me. I better better button these things up. I better better get to the end here and let people know that I really do love them. And that becomes loving someone at the end instead of to the end. Don't realize when it's almost too late to, to do the things that you wanna do, to say the things that you need to say. Don't wait till at the end when you realize that the only thing that matters was that you wanted to love people completely and let them know how much you loved them. You see, Jesus didn't love them at the end. He loved them to the end, complete, from beginning all the way through. His love was constant. His love was there. (coughs) He loved them completely at the beginning, completely at the middle, completely at the end. And and that's the way we ought to live our lives, right? We gotta love people completely. We we, we gotta not say, you know, hey, I'll love you if you do this. I'll I'll love you once I get to that point. Now I'm at a point in my life where I can start loving people. we've, We've gotta risk it. We've got to put our whole heart on the line from beginning to end. But loving people completely, I'll tell you, this is going to be one of the biggest risks you'll ever take. This is risky. This is hard. This is not easy because we've, a lot of us have felt that, that burn, that, that crash of disappointment, someone letting us down, right? But within this, if you love people completely the way Jesus loved people completely, I also think not only is it the greatest risk you'll ever take, it's one of the greatest rewards you'll ever receive one of the greatest rewards you'll ever experience. So what does it mean to love completely? We're gonna look at what Jesus did in these, this last 30 days of his life, and especially on the cross. He risks loving completely, the greatest risk he'd ever took. And I want you to understand this about love, loving completely, and what it risks. Love risks rejection. Thank you, sir. Love risks rejection. Look at this amazing picture of Jesus on the cross in Luke 23. Luke twenty-three thirty-nine. it says this. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since, we are, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then Jesus, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Even in his death, even in the moments where there's a crowd around him yelling, crucify him, he'd been beaten, he had been nailed to a cross for crimes he didn't commit. What does Jesus do? He reaches out his hand of forgiveness to a sinner. He reaches out and shows love, acceptance, and forgiveness. One of the thieves rejected Jesus' open hand. One of the thieves mocked him, ridiculed him. The other one asked for forgiveness. The other one received Christ's open hand. And in his heart, he reached out, and he got to join Jesus that day. See, this is, this is the thing that baffles me about God's love for us. The God of the universe, the God who, who created everything, put the stars in their place, knows them by name, created human beings to love him and for us to love each other. He desires for us to love him in return. But he took the greatest risk anyone in that position could do. You know what God did when he created us? He did not force us to love him. He did not force us to love him. He wants us to. He gives us the opportunity to. He gives us the power to say, Jesus, I'm all in with you, or Jesus, I reject you. I'm in or I'm out. Not just one day, but we get to make this choice every single day. Am I going to love you today, God? Am I going to not love you today? He gave us the power to curse him. He gave us the power to praise him. The one on the cross, one of the thieves cursed him. The other praised him. He gave us the power to literally spit on his face or to love him and have him be the Lord of our lives. The religious leaders spit in Jesus. They spit on the God of the universe. God risked everything. His love risks rejection. He knows there are gonna be people that reject him. He knows there will be people that hear his word and push him away, but he still gives us the opportunity and he still loves us anyways. Now, it's funny, I think if if I had been God, I think everyone has that point. If I was God, what would I do? I've come now in my life to realize I don't want to be. (laughs) If I was God, that's a lot of responsibility. I can't even be Lord over my kids right now, so I don't know if I'm going to be Lord over everybody else's kids. But if I was God, what would I do differently? It's almost like, I've heard people say it too. If I was God, I would make it so people would just love me. Like, you know, snap your fingers, people love me, problem solved, right? Praise me because I deserve to be praised. You don't have a choice. But, But then you think about that, you know, God gave us the power, right, to to reject him or curse him or even believe that he doesn't exist. That's, why would God do that? Why why, why would God say, I'm going to give you the power to choose this? Because love risks rejection. He could have created us to program, he could have created us programmed to love him back, right? He could have done whatever he wanted and said, you will love me, you will love me, you have no choice. But that's not really love, is it? That's not love. Love is only love when you have the choice of whether or not you want to love back. Love is only love when you have the choice if you want to love back. So if the God of the universe, right, he wanted a loving relationship with us so deep, he wanted it so complete, he risked rejection. And guess what happened when he risked rejection? People did what? Rejected him. He risked it, and people did it anyways. Every day, people turn and say, God, I don't want you to be a part of my life. Every day, there are people that say, I've heard that story about Jesus. It's a fairy tale. I don't wanna believe it. People hurt him every single day. People choose to reject him every single day. And this even played out in the life of Jesus on the cross, on his last day, he witnessed people rejecting him. One of them hanging right next to him, he saw them and heard them rejecting him. But on the flip side, he also saw people accepting him. He saw the thief on the other side, believing, receiving, saying, I wanna be with you. God, remember me. And this speaks to me that love always risks rejection. It always risks rejection. One of the reasons we don't love completely is because we fear rejection. We we, we fear someone saying, I don't wanna be a part of your life. I, I don't wanna have anything to do with you. We love partially because we're afraid of being hurt. We're afraid of being hurt. We're afraid of being rejected. We put walls around our hearts because we say, I've got, I've got to really guard myself now because if I lay it all out there, man, it's going to hurt that much more if somebody doesn't, if somebody doesn't reciprocate these feelings. We can hide our true selves because we, we can tell people, if they really knew me, if they really knew my sins, if they really knew all the dirt, my faults, my true feelings, then they might reject me. So I'm only going to give a little tidbit of who I am to you. That way you'll love what I show you, not who I really am. We hide who we really are, and we don't love completely. We love partially. But I think until we love completely, until we go all in on our relationship with Jesus, until we go all in on our relationships with each other, we'll never really fully come alive and experience what God wants for us in this world. Jesus, even in his death, loves completely, and he reaches out. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one. Wrap it carefully around hobbies and little luxuries. Lock it up safe in the casket of your selfishness. But in that coffin, safe, dark, motionless, and airless, it will change. It won't be broken. It will become cold, empty, and irredeemable. That one. When I read that quote, I was like, ooh. That that one got to me. Like, yeah, you you can protect your heart. You can keep it hidden away from no one. But then it becomes cold, broken, empty, irredeemable. The greatest risk you'll ever take, I think, is loving completely because you risk rejection. You risk being hurt. You risk being cut off. But in order to take that risk, if you don't take that risk, I don't think you're ever gonna fully be alive and experience what God has for you. It's it's really really important. A, a lot of a lot of guys, a, a lot of men in particular, are uh, like to hide emotions or mask emotions. Or, or when something comes up that's that's problem or hard, uh, you'll, you'll cover up how you're really feeling with a joke. We'll cover it up with sarcasm, and uh, and, and we can we can make things uh, different because we don't want to really feel awkward when our true emotions come out. We but we've got to learn how to risk our fears. It feels awkward and it's scary, but it's it's the only way. And the, the antidote the antidote for that fear is God's love for all of us. We've got to get over our fear of rejection, over our fear of what if they see the real me and let people see the real you. 1 John 4:18 puts it this way. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. Guess who the only being capable of showing perfect love is? It's God, right? when he loves us completely and we learn to love him completely, it drives out the fear of rejection. It drives out the fear that we may have, the insecurities we have, because his love is so perfect and so encompassing that we can know we can turn to him in these times where we're feeling hurt and rejected. And this isn't, just so you guys know, this isn't easy for me to say because I am a person who, if I find out somebody doesn't like me, I want to know what your problem is. Why don't you like me? And I want to know why, like, it, it, it I, I have lost sleep when I find out Dustin, you said this, and somebody's really ticked off at you, or someone just doesn't like you. I'm like, why? What's not to like? Seriously. But, but it, I, I do lose sleep sometimes, and I figure out, when I find out, I have, there, there's beef with somebody. But I have to come back to that moment of, God, how can I mend a relationship? How can I love this person? Even if they don't fully accept me, it's going to risk rejection. How can I show this person that there's a mended relationship? And it all comes back to loving God perfectly and letting his perfect love drive out the fear that I may have of broken relationship with somebody else. God has this, you can catch this glimpse of just a little bit of God's unconditional love for you when he reaches out, knowing that his love is unconditional to you. Once you realize that his love is unconditional, we can break free of fear. We can break free of the fear of rejection. We can risk and reach out to somebody knowing that they may reject our hand. See, it's it's the same hands that, that broke bread on the hillside, the same hands that were nailed to the cross, the same hands that reached out and touched a leper that no one else would touch, the same hands that washed the disciples' feet, the same hands that reached out and took the nails for us, those reach out to us every single day, every single day, those hands that did all those things, he's reaching out for us, he says, I love you completely, love me back and trust me. No matter how many times we reject him, no matter how many times we walk away, no matter how many things we do wrong, his hands are still reaching. His hands are still there saying, you can take my hand, and he's got some strong hands. He's got some strong hands that will never let you go. Hold him close. Hold his unconditional love. Receive his forgiveness and get a glimpse of how strong his arms are when he wraps you up and says, I'm never letting you go. We can love because God loves us and he holds us so perfectly. So, If you reject me, if you say, you know what, the Pastor Dustin guy, he's nuts. Don't like him. I know that the God of the universe loves me completely. He loves me unconditionally. And that's how I can risk loving people. That's what helps me get through it. The antidote to fear is not just faith. It's complete love. He gets it. He gets it. Experiencing God's love is like risking rejection. So I can risk loving others. I can risk rejection because I know I'm experiencing God's love. And it doesn't just risk rejection. Secondly, we're going to see that another thing love risks, love risks action. Love risks action. 1 John 3.16 says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's 1 John 3.16, so you don't feel like I just misquoted John 3.16. Folks, love is not a feeling. Love is not just a feeling. Love is bold, Love is courageous. Love takes action. DC Talks said it the best when I was a kid. Love is a verb. It takes action. It's not just a feeling. It's an action that produces feelings and many times little small acts that will go unnoticed. A true test of are you loving this person is would you still do those things even if they didn't notice? Would you still be doing it? I would because I love people. Getting a thank you or getting noticed helps, of course but would you still do it if you never got noticed? Those little things that nobody else sees, those acts of love over time, those are powerful. Those are powerful and courageous, and it makes all the difference in a relationship. There, there are a lot of misconceptions about what Jesus was like when he was here on earth. Have you ever seen those portraits of Jesus? Where, I mean, we've all seen them, right? Um, totally white skin, deep blue eyes, looking off into the distance, the glow behind him. You can almost put a fan by his hair you know, and just see, see Jesus going, right? Right? A lot of artists in the Middle Ages, that's, that's how they would paint Jesus. But, but folks, Jesus was a, a Middle Eastern Jewish man. He grew up as a carpenter. He was in construction. He probably had brown eyes. Um, he, he, since he was in construction, he probably, probably was you know, had some scars and cuts and splinters and probably probably some strength as well. He was kind of a man's man, right? We can have these misconceptions about what he looked like and how he acted around people. And I think we've kind of, over the the course of of times, kind of censored the the real Jesus, the one who was in the trenches with people. And we've tried to turn him into this this guy who's just glowing all the time and speaking with just being nice to everyone all the time. And you can talk to Jesus about his personality. And sometimes people will say this, like, let me me tell you about Jesus. Um, Jesus was a man of action. But what kind of actions did he take? And sometimes people will say, he was a super nice man. He was the nicest man you'll ever meet. Well, I can point out in scripture a handful of times, Jesus was not nice. Jesus was very truthful. He showed truth with grace. He did things out of kindness and love, but there were times where you would say, wow, a nice man did not really just make a whip and whip people in the the temple and flip tables and drive them out. That's not the mark of a really, really nice man. But it is the mark of a passionate man who loved people enough to take action and show them how much God loves them. He took action. Tim Hansel says this Jesus was shocking, astonishing, loving, daring, revolutionary, caring, compassionate, but nice? I don't think so. He was never described as nice. To come in contact with Christ, to encounter Jesus of Nazareth, to come into the presence of God in the flesh was many times like stepping into a hurricane, it was dangerous. It was risky, it was life-changing, not always nice. I think because we have these misconceptions about Jesus and what he was like, we, we can kind of, like I said, censor Christianity throughout the years. I mean, when, when most people think of um, a church, people who don't go to church, people who have misconceptions about Christ's followers, sometimes they can say, oh man, you're going to go to a church, it's going to be all kumbaya, everyone's going to be the nicest people in the world, and that just sounds like the most boring place in the world to me. But when we understand that Jesus was not just nice, Jesus was truth, Jesus was grace, Jesus was a man of action, we can model that in our lives because love risks taking action. The Christian life is so much more than than that. I'm not saying anything wrong about being nice. Don't don't leave here today and go, Pastor Justin said, don't be nice. (laughs) I'm gonna go be mean for Jesus. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, Jesus, thank you. But, But I'm saying that, Jesus was more than just a nice guy. He was a man who loved so much he took action on that love, drastic action, action that, that got people freaked out, action that got the political leaders scared to where they wanted to take action against him because he loved us so much nothing could hold it back. 1 John three eighteen says this, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, let us show the truth by our actions. We know the phrase talk is cheap, right? You can say you love someone. You can say you love friends. You can say you love God, but if you're not doing anything about it, it's just words. It's just words. Let's be people of action. Let's show the world that we love them. Show the world Jesus loves them. Show the world there's so much more than just the world. Jesus talked about this last to first principle when he said there was eternity, that there's gonna be this big reversal in in, in eternity in our lives. Those who were last and least important here on earth are gonna be the most important in eternity. Those who are first are always trying to act important on earth, and, and they're going to be the last and the least important in eternity. This is, this is the last to first principle. Jesus says it's, it's not about being first. not about being the best. It's about humility, about what, what is your love showing people, and it's about making yourself less to make others more. Whatever you would do on this last day of life, he's saying don't wait till the last day of your life. If you want to do this last to first principle, live these things now. Live them now. If this was your last day to be alive, if it, you knew it was your last day on the planet before you entered eternity, what would you do? What would you do? Would you express, who would you express love to? Who would you want to come to your room so you could say, this is how I feel about you? What would your actions be? What would you say? And then the challenge is, don't wait till your last day to do those things. Do them now. Let people know now. Do the last things first. Those last things, what would you do? Most, most people wait till the very end but then it's too late. Do the last things first. In our One Month to Live Challenge, if you're doing this along with us, we say do last things first because those, those unselfish acts of love, whether reciprocated or not, those are the things worth doing. A lot of times we act in loving ways to people, but we're not really loving completely. We're just, we're just networking because we, we expect them to do something for us someday. But do you ever just love somebody? you ever just do something for somebody not expecting anything in return? How would that change for you? If you decided I'm going to do this for somebody and they, if they never call back or I never need anything from them in return, it's fine, I'm going to do it anyway because that is, a, that is just a love saying. There's no strings attached, right? I'm just giving you everything because God gave me everything to give. What do you need to do today to show someone you're going to do the last thing first? Also, we need to say the last things first. Make sure we're saying the last things first. If you need to express love, say it today. Don't wait till the end. Some of us need to make phone calls today. Some of us need to write some letters today. Shoot an email out to somebody who has who, who, who hurt you or you want to mend that relationship. Don't wait, until, don't wait until tomorrow to do it. Go home after church today and be like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mend this relationship now. And even if they don't reciprocate it, you can do your part and you can show someone that you love them and not wait until the very end. Then we can give last things first. Give the last things first. We're always holding back, right? A lot of us are waiting to give. It's like we're gonna be here on this this earth forever and we call it the the never used good China syndrome, right? The the stuff we're never gonna use. We're gonna gonna wait for that special day and that special day doesn't come, doesn't come, doesn't come, doesn't come. And then sure enough, you're like, man, that China hasn't been used for 30 years. The never used China syndrome, right? Don't, (laughs) we don't wanna hold back. Don't always save things. Don't always save the best for last. God says, do those last things first. Give your best every day, not just at the end. Don't hold back. Give to people. Give of yourself. You don't, we don't know how many more days we do have left here on earth. All we know is we do have right now. We do have right now. Today is our someday. Today is our someday to go do this. Today is our someday to go do that. Do it today. Don't wait for someday because someday may never come. Today is your someday. Do it while you're still living. Do it while you still have the joy of knowing where it's going and and give with all your heart. Don't hold back. Don't hold back with others. Love risks rejection. Love risks action. And we also see that love risks forgiveness. Love risks forgiveness. This is always a touchy one. Forgiveness is uh, is not always easy. There are some people that have hurt us that we don't want to forgive. We just don't want to do it. And you know what? And sometimes we don't even care. We'll say, I don't want to forgive that person. I don't care what they think about me because they're not worth it. But love always risks forgiveness. Colossians 3.13 says this. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Christ, just as Christ risked forgiving us, we have to risk forgiving for this reward of freedom. Forgiveness is a risk, but it's a risk we have to take. It doesn't matter if somebody deserves it. Because whether or not we think they don't deserve forgiveness, you know who else doesn't deserve forgiveness? Us. For all the stuff we've done, for the ways that we've, we've stepped out against God, for the ways that we've hurt other people, the way that we've, we've done our own thing and rebelled against God's love for us, we don't deserve it. So we are in no place to ever look at somebody else and say, they do not deserve forgiveness. We are so lucky. We are so blessed to have a God that never looks at us and says, you don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve it, but God gives it to us. We forgive because, not because we deserve that, but we forgive to get freedom. We forgive to get freedom. Freedom from that hurt, freedom from the pain, freedom from bitterness building up in your heart. Because if you don't forgive, what you're doing is you're giving that person real estate in your heart. You're giving that person real estate in your mind, a place where they're just gonna camp out there and it's gonna bring up hurt and hurt and hurt because you haven't let it go. Forgiveness isn't for that person. It's for you to experience freedom. We would say this, I'm not saying tell someone, you know what, this was no big deal, I'm a Christian, so I have to forgive you, so I forgive you and move on. What you're saying is, you can tell someone what you did, what happened hurts. Hurt me deep, but I choose to forgive for my own sake because this is how Christ commands it. He commands me to forgive. You may not feel like it, you may not like what happened, but choose to forgive Because by choosing to forgive, you're refusing to allow, you're refusing yourself to hold on to that hurt. Don't hold on to the hurt. And forgiveness is something we do every single time we're hurt. Remember when Jesus said, not just, he says, don't just forgive seven times, forgive 70 times seven. That doesn't mean take out a calculator once you get up to like 490, whatever that number is, that you're like, and done, check the box. I've forgiven enough, hit my quota, take me to heaven. What he's doing is he's doing a metaphor saying it doesn't matter. Continue to constantly forgive. Have faith, forgive every single time. Every single time. Why? For your own sake. So that this bitterness doesn't hurt you, it doesn't hold you down. And this is where people get confused. They, 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 they get confused with forgiveness and trust, honestly. People will say, but, but I, I, wanna, I wanna risk, I, I wanna love completely and that risks, you know, that risks forgiveness. But you know what, I just don't trust that person. There's a difference between forgiveness and trust. 100% difference between them. Forgiveness means you're not holding this against them. Trust means you're not gonna dive back into that situation again right away, right? I'm not saying when someone hurts you, I'm saying when someone hurts you, forgive instantly. If your business partner cheats on you, they cheat you out of your business, yes, forgive. But that doesn't mean you go back into business with this person, right? You, you've learned a lesson. Trust takes time. Forgiveness can be instant. Trust takes time. They're two different things. If there's been a, a betrayal in a marriage relationship, forgive, forgive for your sake. What I'm not saying now is that the trust and the relationship is going to be 100% fine the very next day. Trust takes time to rebuild. I, I've talked to people who have said, yes, I've hurt my wife. I stepped out on my wife multiple times. I'm good now, I asked her to forgive me, and she said she did. I'm different now, but she doesn't trust me. And I, at that point I kinda go, I me mean, neither. Right? I mean, there's, there, there was a history. There's, you've got to rebuild trust. If she's forgiven you and you've also asked for forgiveness, she's offered it to you, know that that's step one. Trust is a whole other step, it's another journey. There are two very different things. There's a woman named Tarolyn McDonough. And she's a longtime member of Woodlands Church, the church that, that, uh, where the pastor, Carrie, wrote this book, The One Month to Live. And she had this incredible story that she shared with her church, and I'm gonna share it with you guys today. It reminded her of how uh, God worked a miracle in her life when uh, she was doing this One Month to Live challenge over 10 years ago. So it says this, Taryn had just gone through the worst tragedy tragedy any parent could ever go through. She'd lost her son, Brian. He was murdered in college. And it was just a terrible, traumatic tragedy. She was going through the one month to live challenge and the accomplice that murdered her son was on trial and he was just convicted. Because of victim's murder rights, she was given the right to speak to her son's murderer. So she stood up at the sentencing with God's grace and power and this is what she said. I want you to know that what I'm about to say is not coming from me, but it's because I see the Lord Jesus standing next to you, putting his arm on your shoulder and begging me to say these words to you. I want you to know that I choose to forgive you. I do this selfishly for my own sake because I don't want the hurt to take hold of me, and I don't want it to keep me from growing any stronger with my Lord. I have asked my family, my friends, and my church to pray for you, to pray that you will not be hurt in prison, and to pray that God's peace and power overtakes your life. Then she said, and my prayer is that from this day forth, you will turn into a saver of lives instead of a destroyer of lives. The judge began to weep, tears streamed down his face, and he said, Miss McDonough, I don't Can I have a copy of that letter? Nothing like that has ever been read in my courtroom. The young man, the murderer, started to weep. As he walked out of the courtroom, Terrilyn looked at him with love, and she made a decision that for the next 30 days, she was going to visit him every day and share Jesus with him every day. And then eventually, he prayed and received Jesus and was baptized in prison. His whole life changed, and he started a ministry preaching to other inmates. That's amazing. That is risking forgiveness, right? That is phenomenal. She followed up with uh, Pastor Carrie. She said, I'm so glad I chose to forgive. That changed everything for me. I can't imagine where I'd be if I held onto that hurt. I miss Brian every day, but that forgiveness has set me free. Who in your life do you need to forgive? Who in your life do you need to say, you know what? There's someone who I am not set free because I'm holding onto this and it hurts, but you need to let it go. You need to say, I forgive this person. Love risks forgiveness. Even if they don't understand, even if you say, I forgive you for this, and they don't understand what you're saying or they don't even agree with it, it's not about them at that point. It's about you releasing yourself from being bonded and held down by something that has a hold on your life. Let it go. Sometimes I've said this to people and said, You know, hey, you need to forgive someone. They say, You don't know how much they've hurt me, you don't know what they did. And I said, You know what? No one has hurt you more than we hurt Jesus on the cross. No one's hurt you more than when we put God on the cross and had him crucified. Choose to forgive because Christ commands it, because it sets us free and it risks. Total, complete love risks forgiveness. And last, love risks total commitment. This last thing, Love risks commitment. Um, we're, we're always holding back in our commitments. I know when, when we are kids and we were little, uh, I, I've taken Aurora and Avery to, to a buffet before, and you know, we, we get to the salad section, and you know what they do? Nope. You know, we go, go down to the next section. We get to some of the, the entrees. I go, I like this, I like this. Then we get to the dessert, the dessert section. Yeah! you know, the, the plates get loaded, right? They are committed to the desserts. And, and given we have totally trained that in our house, we are a dessert family. But, but, you know, they, they start passing on stuff until they get to the end when they, they're like, okay, now I can do all this. But what would change if I took them to a place and there was no dessert section, it was like one walkthrough only. Then they get down like, where is it? Sorry, <laughs> you got your little mini corn on the cob that you like and that's and like the little salad corns, right? Avery loves those and she loves those little salad pickles. It's, it's bizarre. But what would happen if we got to the end and we realized, uh-oh, there's nothing better? I, I was waiting for the next best thing. I was waiting for the next best thing. I, almost, I was waiting and waiting and waiting. Then I got there and it's too late. What I want is really, really back there. What happens is we weren't committing to it from the get-go. We weren't saying, you know what? I'm going all in from the beginning, not just at the end, not just committing to what's going to happen later on better. Commit to it now. Say, I'm going to be all in right now. I'm not going to wait for the next best thing. I'm going to live today like today is the, be- the best thing. And this is what I get to do today. Don't wait for the next bigger and better thing. Make commitments. Make all out 100% commitments to the things that matter. To all the things that matter. Commit your life to Christ. Commit your life to a church family. Create your life and say, you know what? A, a church, this is, this is where I'm gonna be. And if, if, it's, if it's this church and you're visiting here, great, I'd love to connect with you on how you can be all in here at church. If you're listening here today and going, this pastor's boring me to death, I don't wanna be here anymore, talk to me. I will direct you some other churches that I know that are awesome and I know the pastor's there. I know I'm not gonna be for everybody. I don't understand you, but I know I won't be for everybody. I get this. But help me, or let me help you find a place where you can be all in all in all the time. Pick a church, join it. It's not just about going to church. It's not just about going to a place. It's about finding a place where you can connect, you can grow, you can thrive. You can say, this is what God's doing in my life. This is how I now get to be a part of my community. This is how I get to grow and share and thrive. Don't just attend on Sundays. Don't just, don't just be someone who says, I'm gonna be in on Sunday and I'll see you next week on Sunday. If you wanna be 100% committed to this, this, this church community, then man, be all in on what the church community does. Be all in on, on a ministry serving somewhere. But join, join the kids team. If you're musically inclined, join the worship team. If, if you know technology and you have thoughts in your mind on I, I like computers and sound or you have knowledge of sound stuff, talk to Donald and, and myself and l- look at the technology team. If you know coffee, talk to the coffee team. There are opportunities left and right. Don't just be a Sunday morning attender, be a Sunday morning server. Someone who says, I am all in on this place. I'm all in on what this church does. Be all in on the community, all about the mission of the church. And our ultimate mission is to depopulate Satan's zip code. That is our ultimate mission, right? His zip code, diminish it. Let's elevate heavens. Let's get people in. Let's point people to the one who says, this is how you can join and be with me. This is vital. I think people don't understand that that commitments determine our destiny. People have aversion to commitments. They say, I don't want to commit to anything. I don't want to commit. I have a problem committing to these things. Some people will say, I'm committed to Christ. I'm committed to Christ, but I'm not committed to organized religion. I'm not committed to the church. I'm, I'm committed to Christ. I'm not committed to the church. Let me tell you why that doesn't really work. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. That's like going to someone and saying, hey, I'm all in our relationship with you, but your wife, oof. Nope, don't want anything to do with her. It's like coming up to me and saying, hey, Pastor Dustin, I I think you're really, really cool, but Stephanie, no, I don't want anything to do with her. One, one, I would say, say, one, that's my wife. You gotta respect my wife, right? But second, I would say that doesn't work. We come together. We're, We're a package deal. I love my wife. Love my wife aside from my love for Jesus more than anything else. So we come together. If you're gonna be all in on Jesus, be all in on what we do here as a church community and church family. Not just the building, but what we do as a church. Be all in. And I wanna challenge you. Like I said, if you haven't, if you, if you don't call this church your home, I'm gonna be offering something soon. I'll set a date, we'll announce it next week, called Class 101, where you get to come and hear all about who we are as a church. What do we believe? What are we doing? What are our values? And if, if you're on board, that's when you get to sign up and say, hey, I'm in and you become a member of the church and members have, uh, we, we vote on the budget, we vote on church happenings and members are people that say, I am fully committed to being a part of this place. Not just a Sunday morning person, but I'm a member of the life of this church and not just the church, we are loving God completely, giving him everything we've got. So the challenge for us today, commit, commit to God, commit to him. And when you commit to him, That's an all-encompassing commitment that that does so much in our lives. Commit to everything God's calling us to do. Would you stand with me? I'd like to invite the worship team back up. And know that this, when we give it our everything, when we give God our everything, when we commit, when when we risk forgiveness, we risk rejection, when we go all in, know that that commitment is like a magnet to people around us. When people see your passion for God, people see your love for God, that you are all in holding nothing back, that draws people in. That draws people in. Let your commitment, let your love, let the way you love God and love people be a magnet for people around you. That draws them not just to this place, but ultimately to him. Because that's more important than any church building anywhere is that people get connected to him. Make the commitment today, be all in on how you love Jesus, Be all in on how you love his bride, the church. Be all in on how you love his people. It'll hurt. I'll be the first one to say, I'm gonna let you down at some point in some way, shape, or form. It it will happen. I'm not perfect. I apologize now. It's not intentional. But if you stick with me, I'll show you that I'm gonna do my best to model an all-in life for Christ, and I would love you to be alongside me doing it. Amen? Thank you, Jesus, for today. Thank you for your all-out love for us. Thank, thank you, God, that you loved us completely. You held nothing back, God. Even, even when we spat on you, when we put your hands on that cross, God, when, when, when we're the ones who said we don't want you, you still said I want you. I'm risking everything for you, God. I pray that, that we risk it back. It's the payout, is so worth it knowing that you love us so much. So God, be with us today. Help us be all in on you all the time and allow us to feel your love in ways we've never felt it before. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said, amen.